So even with this venture capital um, firm that I'm with right now, there's a lot of iteration going on, right? So it's not all the time that there's a clear direction where everybody's headed. Mm. But I don't think that's something to be afraid of. I think that's something to be embraced, actually. Because in this in this spazzy space, there's no set structure yet, right? So it's up to you. It's up to you to dictate what kind of structure that you want for yourself, what kind of structure, what kind of direction, what kind of outcomes you want for yourself. Tian Wen is a market analytics research associate at a venture capital firm. He did over four years of internship experience in research, writing, and marketing during his time in NUS. He majored in political science. And economics, and he and he is also certified in digital marketing and two Asian languages. Jen Wen, I'm so glad that you could join me in this podcast of the careers of millennials. And today we're going to explore a millennial experience of his career. So thank you for joining me in this show. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for the invitation as well. Um, so hi everyone. I'm Tian Wen. So I'm currently with Reapra as a market analytics research associate. I graduated back in December, sometime last year, and as Andrew mentioned, I majored in political science and economics. Yeah, so uh, Tianwen, what's interesting and what really stood out to me in your profile um, is that you did like so many internships, right? Almost like you're studying and doing internships at the same time. Uh, what made you take up so many internships and across so diverse uh, fields? Uh, because you did like research, you did uh, writing as well and did uh, marketing as well hmm. so I guess for me initially it was just like any other millennial out there right? like trying to figure out where I fit in this bigger bigger scheme of things which industry can I um, find my place in but at the same time by, by doing so many internships it helped me realize different aspects of myself and eventually put me on the right path to where I am today and, and because you did so many right well, what did you learn the most what would you say that you've learned the most from all those internships? Mm. So first and foremost, I, I often introduce myself to people as a storyteller by passion, um, even though my job is not about storytelling per se. But it's more of how, how would you connect the dots and come up with a coherent narrative so that you can connect and empower different people in, in different spheres of life. So what I mean by that is, I, I, I work as a content writer for various publications over the years. Mm. And I saw that as... I saw as individual opportunities for me to actually discover other aspects of myself that weren't that weren't very visible initially. And as a writer and researcher for nonprofits and a couple of impact consultancies, it it was quite fulfilling, I suppose. It was quite fulfilling for me to actually give a voice to the marginalized and neglected in society as well. Another thing that I gained from all these internship experiences is, is the idea that I didn't like routine and hierarchy. Like I'm someone who likes a lot more autonomy, who who prefers more personal space so that I can navigate on my own and actually figure things out on my own. So for most of the internships that I did, I was given a high level of, of autonomy and the expectation was I can drive myself in the right direction um, with very little, I suppose, hand-holding from, from my seniors, from my mentors. And... I remember this one stint that I did with a security consultancy where everything was very routine. So day in, day out, it was just scraping data from social media, um, doing the same task over and over again. It got like really boring. It got super repetitive, really boring, really fast. And it just made me feel like, okay, this isn't the kind of like career I'm looking out for. I, I don't want to feel boxed in by the kind of career that I, I choose for myself. And 
after going through all this, after learning about all this about myself, I also kind of realized that I was chasing the wrong career aspiration for the longest part of my life as well. So what I mean, what I mean by that is I had wanted to become a diplomat with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs for, for quite a while. But after going to Vietnam in 2017 with a research stint with the Fulbright Economics Teaching Program, um, it, it made me realize that I didn't like routine and hierarchy. I, I didn't like the idea of being boxed into a certain career. Mm-hmm. And it also got me interested in the idea of entrepreneurship. Because entrepreneurship is this, how would I put it? At that time, to me at least, it's this very open space with a lot of ideas always coming in and out. Um, and from then on, I decided to take the plunge to find out more about research with a couple of research stints and eventually joined the NUC, NUS Overseas Colleges as well as, as, an inten- as an internship participant. And yeah, so I guess those are my biggest takeaways from my internships. Yeah, it's great that you basically discovered yourself uh, throughout this uh, journey. Um, how did you feel um, at the moment after you discovered something about yourself? So I would say I, would say I was quite surprised initially. So my initial reaction was one of surprise, a bit of shock as well. Because it, it's something that was so entrenched in my mind, at least when it came to my career aspiration, that I, I, I really wanted to work in public service, that kind of thing. And then eventually finding out that, wait a minute, this isn't the kind of environment that I'll thrive in, that these aren't the kind of characteristics of a career that I'd like to embrace. And that really got me thinking, like, is, am, I, am I putting myself on the right path to success or not? So one was, one was surprised. And then the other one was, um, I would say it's kind of liberating as well. It's kind of liberating in the sense that you actually know um, where you're headed. And by knowing where you're headed, you begin to take the right steps towards um, making difficult decisions that often contradict what others may tell you or what um, you even expect of yourself. So would you say that you're confident of, uh, that you have fully discovered yourself at this stage? I wouldn't say 100% confident though. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an iterative, I'll say it's an iterative process. Mm. So it's, it's this constant journey of self-discovery, trying to figure out like maybe is taking this step, the right step forward, should I step back and observe for a while? And if you take that step, what comes after that? So I'd say it's a very slow, very gradual process of trying to, trying to reimagine yourself. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting uh, that you wanted to be a diplomat uh, because I think not many people really have the ambition to do that. So where, tell us more about where did you get the idea from? A, a <laughs> diplomat of Singapore, right? That means you wanted to represent... Wait, I don't know what's the difference between a diplomat and an ambassador. So maybe you know more about it than me. To be frank, I don't know the difference as well. <laughs> I just know the diplomat as in like someone who represents Singapore on the international stage, in diplomacy at least. Yeah. Um, I, I guess the ambition kind of stemmed from my love for international relations. So back then in secondary school, it was all about history. So I was, I was someone who's really big on history. I'll binge read books on World War II, on the Cold War. Um, and back, back in secondary school, I was actually in the in a specialized program for the humanities. And I think that furthered my love for history as well. And even in junior college, I continued to take history for my two years over there. And it's this idea of purpose combined with passion. So purpose in a sense of like serving Singapore on the international stage. And then 
passion, as in my love for international relations, coming together. And that, that's why I saw myself as like becoming a career diplomat um, mm. as my initial career aspiration. And then, and then what happened to, to this aspiration as you went through those different internships? Because you eventually probably wanted to get and uh, do something in like MFA, Ministry of Foreign Affairs, or perhaps mm. in like Prime Minister's Office or something like that. So I, I guess that kind of changed over time. Um, if we go all the way back to 2000, 2017, so that was the first time I worked in Vietnam um, with the Fulbright Economics Teaching Program, right? Mm. Um, I went there as a policy researcher then, but I came back wanting to know more about entrepreneurship and less about policy. Um, so in the last two weeks of the internship, there was a summer school program put together by the staff of the school for student leaders from all across Vietnam. So they, they asked me to be a student mentor to some of these groups. And that was my first brush with like student entrepreneurs. And most, most of the people that I met at summer school were only 17 to 19 years old. Right? And they were, they were running like their own nonprofits, um, startups, or even like this one, one guy who was running his own hostel in the mountains of Dalat. And that, that really impressed me, like how, how one person's passion can actually like, go that far. Wait, wait, did, and did you say people, one guy, he was, how old was he? And he's running a hostel in, in, in the mountains of... Like 19. <laughs> Just 19 years old. He's 19 years old, running a hostel. Yeah. Wow. Yes. I kid you not, I kid you not. Like the, the entrepreneurial aspirations of these people just really, really inspired me. Mm. And then what happened after you came back from Vietnam? You, 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 you caught that entrepreneurship uh, spirit. What, what do you do after that? Yeah, so I would say I came back from Vietnam with like a certain spark. Um, an interest for entrepreneurship but I wasn't sure if this was the right like thing for me because it's still very mystical I, I don't know a lot of, of things about it so I decided to find out more by doing a research team um, with the Asia Centre for Social Entrepreneurship and Philanthropy mm-hmm. so I went there with the with the purpose of trying to find out like what social entrepreneurship is and how it manifests in Singapore wait what, what do you mean I, by social entrepreneurship is there a difference between social entrepreneurship and just entrepreneurship by itself? I would. I don't have a conclusive answer for that, <laughs> to be honest. So I, I spent three months at the Asia Center. Didn't come. Didn't arrive at an answer. But um, by by reading papers on entrepreneurship, by meeting some of the entrepreneurs in Singapore, that got me even more interested in entrepreneurship. And then I was thinking to myself, like, if entrepreneurship is real, is it's about like starting a business, right? Then what's the point about? What's the point of reading? about entrepreneurship. Shouldn't I be actually trying my hand at entrepreneurship instead? So I thought the next logical leap for me was to take part in the NUS Overseas Colleges program and then um, join them as, a, as, a, as an intern in their inaugural Vietnam batch. Hmm. Hmm. So, so, so taking a leap from research to practical and then after that, so going to Vietnam for the second time, working for a startup over there, um, and immersing myself deeper into a startup ecosystem overseas, I think that, that kind of fully convinced me that being, being in a startup space with so many entrepreneurial um, people and, and, and basically just like tossing ideas around, I think that, that was the kind of career space that I wanted to find myself in. And that, that's why I decided to try my hand at running my own startup after I graduate. And then now I'm with Venture Capital. So I would say right now it's, not exactly where I want to be, but I'm still in a space that I, I want to be in. 
if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think it's a journey as it was what you're talking about. And I can connect this with your desire to, to, to be in a, in a, let's just call it a career, not a job, because a job is something that you just do and do and do and, and, and you mm-hmm. don't want to be boxed in, right? You want to right. have the freedom to explore. You want to have uh, excitement in your career. And entrepreneurship really brings a whole new level of uh, excitement that, that you're looking for. But you mentioned one interesting thing just now. You, you mentioned that uh, hmm. uh, even though you've seen a lot of those entrepreneurs in Vietnam, there was still something that was holding you back from from uh, going mm. from being a full fledged entrepreneur. Uh, what what was it? Mm. I think this is something that I've asked myself a lot as well. Um, I would say it's the fear of failure, which is quite surprising. Well, I think it's pretty common. <laughs> you, you it. uh, I mean, in, in Singapore's context, I, I guess it is. Mm. But then again, I, I spent the longest time like trying to figure out entrepreneurship for myself. So. Um, taking the leap to trying to run my own startup, right? I think that was a difficult decision in itself as well. Because last year, so last year when I came back from Vietnam, I was actually asked to, to give a speech for Enterprise Singapore. I wanted to launch events. Mm. And it turns out that the HR director was one of the, one of the attendees. And then she, she offered me uh, a chance to work with Enterprise Singapore as a management associate. And Sounds for good. me, for me, yeah, exactly. So that was like a, a really good offer given the, the, the job market right now. But, um, for, for me at least, like, I was torn between running my own startup or joining Enterprise Singapore as a management associate, which, which I don't know, on hindsight, wouldn't have been such a tough decision, right? Because I, I spent so much time thinking about entrepreneurship, um, figuring out startups, that kind of thing. So why am I still, why am I at this critical moment still hesitating over my choices? And thinking back, I, I honestly felt that it was a fear of failure. Like, what happens if this doesn't work out well? Um... Is there any recourse for me after that? Mm-hmm. But anyway, I, I still chose. So I still chose to take the plunge because, you know, like this is something that I really wanted to do. So why wait? Why, why not like try, try it now? Okay, so you basically went to do your startup instead of taking up that uh, uh, yeah. uh, position with uh, Enterprise, Singapore. Enterprise Singapore, right? Uh, basically, yeah. I, I know they run like those <clears throat> uh, schemes, government schemes to help SMEs, small, medium enterprises mm-hmm. in Singapore to grow faster. Right and take the international stage. Yeah. Okay, so now, uh, now, now you're in venture capital, right? So you're looking basically at startups, and 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 the board of directors of the venture of capital would be uh, investing in in all these. So how do you feel right now as you study these different businesses and 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 having this entrepreneurship uh, idea at the back of your mind? I guess it's a matter of balancing expectations at this point. Because <laughs> after I came back from Vietnam, I was like, whoa, entrepreneurship is this like really fun space. And let, let's, let's work seriously on the idea and take, advantage, take full advantage of the ecosystem that I've, I've, I've immersed myself in. Like I, after I came back from Vietnam, I had this very idealistic view of what entrepreneurship is. So it's just starting a business and going to hackathons, getting fundraising, and eventually making it big. But now, now that I'm in venture capital and having tried my hand and running a startup for almost six months, I, I've come to realize that running a startup actually involves a lot of um, due diligence, I would say. So a lot of due diligence, there's a lot of hard work that a lot of people don't really see. Mm-hmm. And it takes a lot of time and energy to actually um, figure all these things out. And it's not just a one-time thing. It's a constantly recurring affair that you need to keep pace with. 
And now that I'm in venture capital and seeing all these other founders trying to um, pitch their ideas, trying to get funding for their ideas, it kind of reminds me of myself. Uh, but at the same time, I, I get to see like all these founders coming with different expectations, um, different le levels, I guess, different levels of planning, and different mindsets. Mm -hmm. And that helps me better understand like what exactly is an ideal, who exactly is an ideal entrepreneur, um, what exactly is a good business model, and where exactly do me and my startup idea fit in the in the big in the bigger scheme of things. So would you eventually uh, uh, go, go back and uh, continue into this entrepreneurship journey? Do you believe that once you're an entrepreneur, <laughs> you'll always be an entrepreneur? Mm, the thing is, when people talk about entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship, like they, they think of entrepreneurs as like a, a role, I suppose. I mean, entrepreneurship should really be more of a mindset. Mm. So I think there's this distinction that we, we should make clear first. Someone can be an entrepreneur and start a lot of businesses. But at the same time, someone who is entrepreneurial, someone who always thinks out of the box, is an entrepreneur in his own right. Mm, makes sense. Mm. So, so for me at least, is I, I, don't, I don't think everybody needs to start their own business to be considered an entrepreneur. It's more of having that entrepreneurial mindset that actually counts um, more in this day and age. And, and so you mentioned that uh, you, you like uh, a, a kind of job or you like to work in a kind of environment where they give you a lot of uh, um, liberty and um, what, what's the word, right word for that? A lot of uh, autonomy to explore different functions and basically run your own show and then report the results back to your manager. How, what, what are some lessons that you have learned from your entrepreneurship journey or from this entrepreneur mindset that you have applied very meaningfully in, in your role and in your job to really perform well? So I think first, first one would be taking the initiative. So in entrepreneurship, you're always in this very chaotic environment. Like there are a lot of things happening at once. There's a lot of like variables that you have to consider. But it's, it's more like, do you have the courage? Do you have the courage to take the first step and just ask the right questions? So just get out there, ask the right question and like get your hands dirty and start doing things. So even with this venture capital, um, firm that I'm with right now. There's a lot of iteration going on, right? So it's not all the time that there's a clear direction where everybody's headed. Mm. But I don't think that's something to be afraid of. I think that's something to be embraced actually because in this, in this fuzzy space, there's no set structure yet, right? So mm. it's up to you. It's up to you to dictate what kind of structure that you want for yourself. What kind of structure, what kind of direction, what kind of outcomes you want for yourself. So the idea of taking initiative is very important in entrepreneurship. But also the idea of having iterative cycles. So what I mean by iterative cycles is you, you can learn by doing, right? But you need to have a, a goal in mind as well. So let's say you run a small experiment and the experiment produces a negative outcome, right? You should immediately discard the experiment and get started on the next one. So the question here is how do you perform as many experiments in the shortest amount of time to get you to where you want to, where, where, you, where you want to be in a certain, um, in a certain position, in a certain um, project? And the last one would be, I suppose, being as open as possible to as many people as possible. I think anyone who has run a startup or even like in venture capital, for example, having the right network is really important. But even in any job, like um, asking the right person the right questions, uh, reaching out to people for help instead of waiting for them to come to you, that's, that's really important as well, I think. I'm sure you would have uh, in your previous internships or previous places that you've worked uh, seen many people 
um, <clears throat> not take the initiative when 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 you probably would if you were in that position. So how what what would you say to them um, about let let's let's start with the benefits, right? What what are some interesting benefits that you have experienced uh, for some of the initiatives that and 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 actions that you have taken? So I guess one example I can raise would be how I secured some of the internships that I I I did back in university. So one of them was with a local nonprofit called Chosen Exchange. Um, they weren't actively looking for interns actually. And I I was about to do my exchange program in Korea at the time. So I actually co-emailed the founder of Chosen Exchange. And he he was he was happy, I suppose. So he, was, he was happy that I sent him an email and I, I asked him like, okay, is it okay if I come over to your office and sold to work for you? But it really? turns out the office wasn't in Seoul. It was based in Singapore. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So he told me to go for my exchange, come back and then start like doing research with them, which I did, which I did. And mm, yeah, yeah, we've chosen an exchange. I've had like a, a whole host of unique experiences because they, they teach entrepreneurship in North Korea, right? So some of the people that I've met are government officials from Korea, um, leading entrepreneurs from around the world even. Well, that's uh, interesting. Uh, well, then I know a lot of people would have some reservations about reaching out because they fear being rejected or they you know, have those common doubts in their minds. Do you ever have those mm. as well? How, I mean, how did you overcome you, them? I can understand you have doubts, I, I guess. But then again, if, if someone rejects you, like, what is there to lose? Nothing, actually. You know, to me, yeah, what is there to lose, exactly? <laughs> I mean, if, if people say no, then just, just move along, right? Just move along and then send out another cold email to the next person that you wish to work with. That, that's how, that's how I've, I've wrote with internships, I guess. Like even, even in my role as a freelance writer, if I, if I send out a request to a company that I wish to write for and they say no, or I'll just pitch my services to another company. And that's, that's pretty much it. Hmm. What do you think are some of the most important um, ideas and, and concepts that we millennials today must understand uh, in order to have a fulfilling career? So I guess one would be that change is the only constant, right? Like as, as Awfully, as awfully repeated as that trope goes, mm. change is the only constant. And what does that mean for us if change is the only constant? It will mean um, being able to constantly adapt, not being boxed in by by own mindsets, by our own career, that kind of thing. So always having an open mind. And at the same time, it's this idea that we have to keep learning. So the whole learning for life mindset that's pretty important today. How would one know that they are being boxed in or they have a boxed in kind of thinking? For, for me, at least, it would be, be asking myself questions. Like, am I doing the same things day in, day out? If I come into office today, is there anything new that I can, I can take out from today's experience? Then it would be how, asking questions like, how am I growing in my role? And can I see myself gaining something out of this after a certain time frame? And what, and what else? What other concepts do you think uh, we millennials need to understand um, in order to have a, fulfill, uh, a fulfilling career? Importance of networking. So in, in th this is idea. This is idea that the older you get, um, the smaller your social network becomes. Because like, there's small commitments in life. Um, and then people have to choose their commitments wisely, I suppose. And then they spend less time maintaining like the friendships they've built over the years. Um, for me... For me, that's quite a waste. 
And that, that's quite a reason. As, as you always say, your network is your net worth, right? But more than just that, having a network in this day of age is very important for, for getting that sort of mental support. Because we're living in a world of great flux right now, right? And then what happens if you can't cope? You, you don't want to feel like you're alone in this fight. It's, it's better to have that network of friends um, to, to be there for you, I suppose. Uh, t- tell me more about uh, mental support. Why do you think we need to have a, um, a, a, a network of friends or you know, general, in general people? And, and, and why is it so important to have uh, mental support from different people? Why, why you know, we, we, are, we have our own mental minds, right? Uh, we we mm. do things to keep our mental well-being up and well. Um, but why, why do you think it's so important to have to, to need to have men- mental support. Got it. So like you said, mental health and mental support, they can come from different sources, right? So you could, I don't know, you could choose to meditate, you could choose to do yoga, and that's a form of self-therapy, I, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then there's also external support, like be it from friends, from family, from a therapist. Um, I, I would say friends can offer you a very powerful bill of support because the, the rapport is there. And with, with family, in, in my case, at least, with family, there's some things that can be a bit, I don't know, can be a bit difficult to broach because of the distance. To friends, it's like, there's this space, I feel, there's this space where you can talk about some things. Um, you could probably talk about some things and feel freer to talk about them. And at the same time, because everyone's going through that same, that same stage in life, it's easier, to re- it's easier to relate to each other's troubles as well. Now, now, yeah, it definitely makes sense to have a network of uh, peers, people whom you see f- uh, similar to yourself, so that uh, you have shared struggles, right? And and you go through that same thing, and it's easy to talk about it. Mm. So talking about it helps us to cope with it mentally. Okay. So what what are some of the struggles that that you think have really brought you to where you are today? As you look back from the time that you started um, university and you've gone through you know, several internships, um, you mm. went to Vietnam, um, you, you had several uh, 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 interactions with uh, people that you have never met before. Mm-hmm. Well, what are some of the biggest struggles that really defined you today? Got it. So I think the first one would be being able to speak up for myself. So for the, for the longest time in school, like even way back in kindergarten, primary school, um, I, I, had, I had difficulties like finding my own voice. And I still remember every time, every single time I opened my report book, right, there'll only be two words under the teacher's comment section. Too quiet. It's always those two words. Wait, what, <laughs> what, what are the two, two words? words. Too, Too quiet. Too quiet. Yeah. So it was always those, yeah. That's only, so it's only those two words from primary one all the way until I'm like even in JC actually. Yeah, so I was like really passive. I was a really passive student. And um, even in some of the internships that I did, like trying to um, communicate my intentions across, trying to convey some of my, my feelings to my colleagues. It was, it was a bit of a trouble as well. Because like, I, I, didn't, I didn't know like how to properly do it, I suppose, how to properly communicate. Hmm. Um, I think all that kind of changed. All that kind of changed over time through experience, through, I don't know, like some, some kind of trial and error. And last year kind of marked this pinnacle that I, I thought I'd never reach. Because I, like, like I said, I did that public speech 
Singapore, for Enterprise Singapore, right? And for, for someone who had this fear of speaking up for the longest time, and actually speaking on stage for a government event in front of 300 people, I think that, that was, it's like, it was like, a, it was like a, I've made it kind of moment. Yeah, it was like a, I've made it kind of moment, like a spiritual pinnacle that I, I didn't think I would reach. Um, another struggle that I had was taking time to actually understand um, others first before choosing to respond. So usually, okay, back then, like back in the day, I, I used to be someone who well, was quick to judge, obviously. So I was quick to judge, very quick to criticize what I think is um, bad choices, bad attitudes, bad behavior. And by, by doing that, it's, it's not very productive. It's, it's shutting down the conversation even before it begins. So if you ask someone like, okay, why, why, do, why do you smoke? It's, both a waste of, it's a waste of both time and money. That in itself is a fact, right? But then again, it's like, you're responding to the what, which is the fact that smoking is a waste of time and money, but you're not responding to the why. So why is the person um, smoking, even though he knows that it's both a waste of time and money? And I think the why is more important. Understanding the why gets us to be more empathetic. And in my case, um, it helped me to write better stories for, for in any kind of situation. Mm-hmm. So it's this idea of building empathy over time. Then the last one would be probably having the courage or finding the courage to actually pursue what I really wanted for myself. So again, like I, I said, I had difficulties trying to make that decision between joining Enterprise Singapore, trying to run my own startup. And I think this is because I was someone who's very fitted to the mold of, of Singapore's like education system. Because it's, it's kind of like, how should I put it? Like the standard, just study and then, you know, go to university, get a yeah. job, get a corporate job, become a manager and then <laughs> start a family and then retire, kind of. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. So I did this whole template lifestyle, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I, I was someone who was very fitted to that mold and then trying to break out of it um, took a lot of effort. It's, it's not only like switching mindset kind of thing because there are expectations to deal with. So how to navigate those expectations and then like how to... How to um, like constantly keep myself in check to make sure that I'm actually following um, the right path, I guess. It, it was a struggle. And, and, I, and I still struggle with it um, sometimes. I guess that's also linked to uh, your desire to start a company because in a traditional Asian setting, uh, families don't necessarily encourage their children to start companies at a very young age. At least for in my experience, that's what I hear. Uh, unless you come from a family that is already running a business and then, yeah, sure, your parents might encourage you, hey, go start a business, son. <laughs> right? Right. Um, right, right. But for, uh, for, for most people, I think people are very risk averse. So they rather take mm. uh, interest income than to take equity uh, in their in in business, right? So, mm. so, 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 this, so out of all the three struggles that you mentioned, right? Um, speaking out for yourself, well, well done, right? You went for the public yep. speech, nailed it. Mm. Um, uh, second one is also taking time to understand, right? Uh, I can see that you're doing it very well already, like, that uh, we're having a very nice conversation here. And, and the third one, which mm. is uh, having the courage to pursue what you want. Out of all these three, which, of, which is the, um, the, the biggest struggle? That, and that you are still facing today. I guess it's the third one, right? Because you mentioned that uh, you're still struggling with it. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's definitely, definitely a third one. 
Mm. I mean, the, the third one was more than just personal. So it wasn't just a personal struggle. It was a struggle um, between me and some of my friends, between me and my family as well. Especially with my mom, because my mom is someone who is extremely conservative when it comes to these kind of things. Right? So when I told her, okay, um, I'm going to try to run a startup after I graduate. And then she was like, no, 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 no. You better get that stable government job, um, you know, like contribute to the family and, and stop playing around with you know, like unnecessary risk. Um, it took me a lot of convincing, uh, a lot of effort to actually convince her that mm. there are merits to trying to run a startup. And I think she's come around, she's come around um, after quite a lot of persuasion. Yeah, I think you can share with us some yeah. tips on uh, what, what you shared with her, right? Because in case uh, some of the listen- <laughs> listeners want to run their own startups and, you know, they come from those uh, traditional Asian I- settings. Right, right. But then again, it's like, so every family has their own ways of communicating. But with my mom, it's, it's like, if she says no, right? And then I'll, I'll just go ahead and prove her wrong. So I'll just go ahead and do whatever I want and ensure that, okay, that this, this can actually work out and you need to trust me on this. Hmm. Yeah, so I, I guess for me, it's kind of like just going ahead first and showing her that okay, what I'm saying right now makes sense. And 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 how did she? Uh, uh, how did you eventually convince her that everyone should at least? Well, I mean, not everyone. How how did you eventually convince her that it's worth trying uh, to run a startup, whether you make it or not? It's still hmm. worth it. I'll say that's a good question, actually. So I, I, I didn't really convince her from that, that point of view. But if I were to go back in time and ask her and convince her um, from that point of view, it would probably, probably be the fact that I can still learn something from the whole experience. So it wouldn't be a waste of six months, right? It wouldn't be just me um, burning cash, trying to run a business that doesn't make sense. Mm. It's, it's me trying to find out more about myself, trying to find out if, like, the startup space is really where I meant, where, where I meant, where, where I was meant to be. Um, and in a sense, it's a, it's a test for myself to see how committed I, I am to, to this particular um, aspiration of mine. So I would say by, by doing this, it gives me clarity, it gives me insight into myself, into this field that I'm interested in. And that was, a, I would say that would, that would be a productive use of six months. I'll use it to convince her. I'm, I definitely definitely agree with you. Um, mm. Going through those experiences allowed you to discover more about yourself. And mm. what's more important, <laughs> I know there's a quote, something like, uh, there are two days that's uh, most important in the world, the day you're born and the day you find out why, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so it's great that you... Uh, discovered uh, yourself, learned more about yourself because as I mm. understand, entrepreneurs spend a lot of time with them, um, th- with themselves first on day one. Mm. And that allowed, uh, that allows them to understand more about themselves, what they like, what they don't like, what is their management style, uh, how do they set priorities and all that stuff. And as you've shared some mm. very many good lessons just now uh, about entrepreneurship. Um, what is your what, what is the biggest lesson that you've learned from running all the startups besides discovering yourself? You'll be managing expectations for me at least. Because like, like, like I said earlier, when I came back from Vietnam, I had this really idealistic view of what entrepreneurship should be, right? And then actually running a startup and then starting to deal with all these like nitty gritty aspects of what running a startup actually entails. And you, you start to question yourself and it, it's very easy to get disillusioned really fast if you don't manage expectations properly. 
So I, I guess for me now, it will be a step back, but not like a complete turn away from, from it. The thing is step back and reevaluating is how can I better proceed if I choose to step back in running a startup again? Um, you know, Tian Wen, you talk a lot about going to Vietnam. Did you, uh, mm. why, why did you choose uh, this country in particular? And share with us also, why did you take up two Asian languages, uh, Korean Perfect. and uh, Japanese? Mm. So on, on a broader level, I guess it's my love for foreign cultures and languages, actually. So I, I do spend a bit of time like, trying to learn other languages. Um, not very fruitfully, I guess. <laughs> Because with Korean, I actually invested almost three years like for trying to formally learn the language and I, I still can't manage like a proper conversation in, in the language. But for for Vietnamese at least, I, I didn't have any expectations of Vietnam when I first went there. I, 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 I had no knowledge of what it was like to, to live and work in Vietnam. So I, I went to Vietnam for the first time in 2017. I was completely lost. Uh, it's like really big culture shock and trying to deal with like crazy traffic every morning, that kind of thing. And I would say for the first for the first month, so I was there for three months in 2017, right? but for the first month, I was quite tired of it. I'll, I'll be frank, I was, quite, I was quite tired of it. Because it was very noisy, very chaotic. Um, the language barrier was very frustrating to deal with as well. Because every every single day, I'll have to you know, like point at what other people are eating and then like hopefully they get my order right kind of thing. Um, but that, that kind of changed over time. I started to realize that there are a lot of things about Vietnam that I took for granted. So like how entrepreneurial the people are, how friendly the people actually are, um, and how fast the country is actually growing as well. I mean, if you link this back to um, startups and venture capital and that kind of thing, I think my interest in Vietnam now is, is, is really more of like the growth prospects in the country. I mean, if you, if you look at like how fast Vietnam is growing, the, the amount of investments it's pouring into the country, um, it's probably another miracle waiting to happen, another economic miracle waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, on a personal level, like interacting with some of the youths over there, they're some of the friendliest people I know, some of the friendliest, some of the most resourceful people that I know. For some of them, they grew up in, in how, how, how should I put it? Like broken families, I suppose. Broken families, single, single parent families. I mean, one of my Vietnamese friends was even selling bread on the streets when he was a child. And then now, he actually won. He actually won a scholarship from a social enterprise to, to study in Australia. And then now he's just trying to build a house for his parents, um, run his own side gig at the same time. So seeing the resourcefulness of the people um, and how exciting things are going to get in Vietnam, that, that, that gets me excited um, to learn Vietnamese, to actually go back to Vietnam and meet more people over there. With Korean and Japanese, it's a completely different motivation. <laughs> So with Korean, initially it was K-pop. Yeah, so I was, I was obsessed nice. with K-pop. Nice. <laughs> back in secondary school, yeah. <laughs> so it was SNSD. So SNSD was all the rage back then, right? Uh-huh. Then I was studying, so I had the opportunity to study in Beijing for three months. Then one of, one of those days I was studying in Beijing, right? I, I just yeah. took a bus all the way to the CBD. And then I, I walked back from the CBD to my dormitory, stopping at every single CD store along the way. <laughs> just to look for SNSD CDs. <laughs> really? Wow. <laughs> Really, I'm not kidding. <laughs> How long was the walk? About well, three hours. It wasn't that long. It wasn't that long. It's three just like hours? One, oh, one, like, yeah, because long. you go into the shops and all that at the same time, right? But for three hours? Oh, yeah. Of, of course, of course. I mean, like the window shopping took way longer, but the, the entire like walking journey alone took three hours. Wow. But yeah, that, that, was, how, <laughs> that was how obsessed I was back then. 
Yeah, so it started with K-pop first. Then mm. it, it grew into a deeper appreciation, like Korean culture and history in general. Then I started making a couple of Korean pen pals as well. And that was it. I think it was my second year of university. Like I went to Korea to, to do a language exchange program with Yonsei University. Mm. So I, I guess with Korea, it was more of a very casual kind of thing. Like first K-pop, then Korean culture, and then actually going to study Korean formally at university. Um, and I also, I also think that's the reason why like, I kind of I, I kind of like lost that interest after a while because there wasn't a strong factor like motivating me in learning Korean in the first place. Why, why was that so? Because I thought SNSD they were Korean mm. songs and all that stuff. But yeah, but it's very fetish. It's almost a fat kind of class where it's like, okay, why am I learning Korean anymore? Ah, like, uh, okay. Yeah, but I, I can still read and write Korean but my spoken is atrocious. Mm. Yeah, and, and then with Japanese Korean, Korean drama as well. Take <laughs> <laughs> uh, Korean dramas with a pinch of salt. Right? I mean, if you're using it for language learning, it's not the best material, I feel. Mm. Yeah, like they use a lot of slang. Some of the grammar structures are a bit different as well. But on the grammar structures, I think that, that was the reason why I hopped from from Korean to Japanese because the grammar structures between the two languages are actually the same. Mm. And I, th- I thought it was quite easy actually for me to, to try, try Japanese. And then with Japanese, um, it wasn't so much on music first. I think it's more of anime. Yeah, for me, it's more of anime. It was anime first. And then again, it got deeper and deeper. Then now I'm I don't know, knee deep in Japanese history and philosophy. And yeah, so I, I guess languages are like windows to a different world. And then if you link this back to like my love of storytelling, it's... When you open a different window into a different world, right? And then um, you get to see things from a different perspective. You get to see all these. You get to read all these different stories from a different perspective. What what uh, what do you do with uh, storytelling? Um, how do you practice that in uh, um, um, in 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 what you do? So again, storytelling in the broader sense is simply just connecting the dots and coming up with a coherent narrative, right? Mm. But there's only so much one person can, can do on its own. So what I mean by that is, when, when, you, when you tell a story from your own perspective, it's limited by your understanding of the world. Mm. But when you, when you explore the world through the lens of the other ring, then that's when you start to understand a different story from a different perspective. So you can understand the same story from a different perspective, or you can understand a different story from the same perspective. But the, I think the most rewarding, the most rewarding one would be understanding a different story from a different perspective. Mm. Because not only does it challenge your worldview, it challenges how, how you even construct that worldview in the first place. Mm. So, so in your view, what is a good storyteller and how can you be a good storyteller? That is a really difficult question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in, in my... If I were to draw this back to how I define storytelling, it's simply someone who can make the most sense out of a, like a really chaotic situation and produce and produce a coherent narrative out of it. So my now I deal with a lot of data in my work, right? Mm. And to be a good storyteller in that sense would be to to make use of all these different data points, connect them together, and then generate some kind of actionable insight for the investment team. But on a broader level, it's, it's simply 
It's simply, it's simply how much sense can you make out of the most chaotic situation? And, and uh, on that note, right, um, I, I've thought about this before. Uh, when it comes to yeah. storytelling, you're taking some of the interesting points and you're trying to connect the dots and put, uh, to put together a coherent story. But sometimes there are other points that were not included and mm. had they been included, the story would have been totally different. So basically, you know, there are just some flaws and uh, common flaws that uh, 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 statisticians and data analysis uh, mm. uh, uh, that uh, that happen, like um, you know, cherry picking data or or, or using uh, um, old data points or the data set is not good. How do you overcome that? You know, basically when people challenge. Uh, your story. Hey, you're not telling a complete mm. story. You know, uh, mm. how how would you respond to that? I welcome it. Uh, I definitely welcome it. I mean, what what's the point of telling a story if there's nobody to challenge it? Mm-hmm. Okay, tell me more. Yeah, because I mean, if you have positive feedback, I, I guess that's nice to hear, mm-hmm. right? But you can't improve. You can't improve because positive feedback is simply affirming um, that your work is of a certain level. Though. Whereas with negative feedback, it's like okay, um, where can I improve on this? Um, is there any blind spots? Are there any blind spots that I've missed when I'm constructing my, my story over here? And is there something that other people can add to my story that I by myself cannot? So I think it's more valuable to receive negative feedback than positive feedback. And this doesn't just apply to storytelling, actually. In any situation when you're receiving feedback, negative feedback makes a lot more sense um, to receive than positive feedback. Because mm. that contains points of improvement that uh, you could use yeah. for your, yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Like it, it's so much easier, I suppose, to get other people to spot my mistakes than having myself, like getting myself to um, watch my own behaviors and correct my own mistakes by myself. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Mm. So Tianwen, um, one more question I have for you is, what is the impact mm. that you want to have in the world? Because as I hear you, uh, wanting to pursue a path that you always wanted um, since young and now you're struggling mm. you know to, to to get through um, finding the courage to pursue what you really want how would you describe the kind of impact that you want to make um, if you are able to attain that I suppose the impact that I want to make would be using my storytelling capabilities to connect and empower communities Mm-hmm. so at least with my like initial startup idea what I wanted to do was to to how should I put it like to empower the next generation of storytellers by, by giving them the right skills to, to tell stories that um, that how should I put it across different contexts so be it like writing in a safe school um, be it writing copy for a company or writing content for marketing purposes that kind of thing I think that, that was the goal and also because I, I saw that within Southeast Asia uh, in, in Vietnam in particular like, there are lots of talented youth out there right? but they can't they can't put themselves out there because of the language barrier so they can't communicate their intentions properly they can't communicate their potential properly and that's and because of that people just um, brush them aside altogether like, they're not even given a chance to actually showcase their talents or because they can't properly communicate in the language that people expect them to communicate in. Mm. 
And mm. so what are some communities that you feel closely uh, attached uh, to? You mentioned Vietnam a lot, so I guess that's one of those. I suppose so. I suppose so. <laughs> yeah, Vietnam just fills me with admiration, I suppose. I mean, like the speed that are growing and how we saw schools on the people or that kind of thing. So I, I would say yes, but also uh, it's just entrepreneurial communities in general, I guess. Like it's, it's not just one particular community. Because like when I have conversations with entrepreneurs and in incubator events, accelerator events, kind of thing, these are the sort of moments that get, gets me like riled up. Like it gets me excited about what the future can be, what kind of um, ideas that people have yet to explore. And it gets me excited. It gets me like really excited when I interact with people in these communities. Right. Thank you, Tianwen, for sharing with us uh, your entrepreneurial journey and all the lessons that you've learned. Uh, some very useful tips that you shared as well, uh, based out of, of the struggles that you have uh, overcome. I, I know many people face difficulties with them too. So thanks really so much uh, for being open uh, to share about these mm. uh, uh, topics and having a conversation with me today. Thank you, Tianwen. Yeah. Thank you, Andrew.